Today is August 28th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot that are south of the U.S.-Canadian imposed border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, which is now Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all Indigenous that are First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status or non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of this lands. Um, any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I think I know as I walk down the red road. My name is Michelle Robinson, and I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, another English name which has afforded me great privilege in a colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yolanized Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am the daughter of a Mayflower and the daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that where I was born, even though I was in Calgary, my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to the area of Clincho Tine Indahe in Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, which was given to me in ceremony. Um... It is really important to me as an Indigenous person to acknowledge the land that we're on to help uh, give thanks to those who have allowed my people to travel here and allow me to be a visitor here. So with that, I say thank you. Um, I say that today after spending a weekend with Harlan Pruden and hearing his teachings, that he actually said uh, in a really great way, that going into somebody's house and not acknowledging them as the host is uh, incredibly disrespectful. And that is a huge component of why it is that we do that land acknowledgement. When I speak about the land acknowledgement, I do it to be inclusive to all Indigenous. And I say status and non-status because of the way the Canadian government has set up the uh, you know, definition of Métis, the definition of uh, status, the definition of First Nation, to the point that a lot of people are being eliminated out of that. And we have a lot of um, kids that have been forced to go into care through the 60 scoop policy, which continues today, and the racism and the lack of Indigenous education within the system that continues that um, apprehension today. So with that, I, I give thanks to all Indigenous people for surviving, for being here. And I give you know special acknowledgement to those in Treaty 7 while acknowledging those in Treaty 11 that allow me to be here today speaking to you. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to Amanda, Amy, Ariel, Ashley, Beatrice, Charmaine, Diana, Dustin, Joni, Judy, Julie, Kenna, Matt, Nathan, Sharon, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up and allowing me to do the work that I do. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to live to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments, your questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Nativecalgarian.com is also up.
Violence is a daily reality that I face. Every indigenous generation has faced it. And that's why I started this podcast, to be able to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people do not want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure want to share theirs, usually by people who don't know about Indigenous or anything about colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights, uh, typical microaggressions that we deal with every single day. On the flip side, we have Indigenous people that are dealing with Indigenous racism. You know, there are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo or other people who are really still in their trauma and stop people from doing the work and deplete all the uh, personal resources. So internalized and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. And that's why I started this podcast was to be heard. So I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. I also want to put more cultural safety into action. Uh, A lot of people say they feel very overwhelmed. They don't know what to do when they see microaggressions or um, things that are harmful to marginalized people. So I want to help you create a safer place for Indigenous, people of color, LGBTQ+, and more so that they have an opportunity to speak. Uh, So the first thing you have to do is do something. Having good intentions and thoughts and prayers is not enough. You have to take action to make change. You have to speak out against racism and ask questions with those with more understanding. You need to find your allies and create a support system for you so that you can help advocate for culturally safe approaches. You need to take responsibility for your own learning. You need to read, reflect, and ask questions. But you shouldn't always expect this learning to come from the marginalized people that you're learning about. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own personal biases and assumptions. And I'll give you an example of a mother who had heard me speak about um, up till now, it's always been some type of policy that's prevented, um, you know, children being raised by Indigenous people. But the way that she interpreted that, it was that we were too inferior as a people. So, you know, I had to really clarify that government policy is the prevention, some is the problem, not, not necessarily, you know, an inadequate support system. So that's why it's really important to question your assumptions and your biases, because we may say something and you do not hear it because of your own personal biases and assumptions. So question everything you've ever learned about Indigenous people, because in school, you may have been taught the exact opposite of what is the actuality, and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes and your biases and assumptions. And you have to commit to lifelong learning. You have to be prepared to be uncomfortable, and you have to understand colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task, which you are a part of undoing. So I want to say thank you to heretohelp.bc.ca slash visions, Indigenous people, what is Indigenous cultural safety and why should I care about it? Um, I also want to talk a little bit about internalized racism. So this is uh, the racism that you see within the Indigenous community. So when you hear people say, well, they just fight with each other all the time. Well, that's a nice way to just overlook the fact that Um, The structural racism that's been imposed on a group of people, the external racism, 
has actually caused these issues. So we have a group of people in a racial system that that oppressed group continue to support and maintain the uh, supremacy and dominance of the other group because of what has been taught through that structural racism. So like systemic racism, it manifests itself in at least four dimensions of inner, interpersonal, institutional, and cultural. And uh, you can read more about that by Donna Bevins at racialequitytools.org and just Google what is internalized racism. Also, I have some do's and don'ts by Standard Intervention by American Friends Service Committee. So this is what you do if you happen to see uh, instances of racism, um, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, anti-indigenous, or other forms of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, uh, microaggressions, and, and there's some tips on how to do that. Your first thing that you should do is make your presence known. If possible, make eye contact with the person being harassed and ask them if you they want support. Move yourself close to the person being harassed. And if you're if it's safe to do so, create some distance between the person being harassed and the attacker and be that barrier. If it's also safe to do so, and if the person being harassed consents, film or record the incident. You know, take cues from the person being harassed. Is the person engaging with the harasser or not? And you can make suggestions like, do you want me to walk? Uh, do you want to walk with me over here? Do you want to move to another train car? Do you want him to leave you alone and follow their lead? Notice if the person being harassed is resisting in their own way and honor that. Uh, tone policing does not help. And if you don't know what tone policing is, please Google that. Uh, follow up with the individual being harassed after the incident is over and see if there's anything else that you can do. Uh, do what you can to keep your to keep both of you safe. Um, assess your surroundings. Are there other people that are nearby? Uh, can you work as a team? Uh, can you move the person being harassed to a safer space? Uh, is there an intercom that you can um, access help if needed? Are there phones close by in case you need to uh, call in a friend? Don't call the police without anybody's permission. For many communities experiencing harassment right now, including Arab, Muslim, Black, queer, trans, immigrant, indigenous, and more, police can actually cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not incite any further harassment from the attacker. And don't do nothing because silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves that victim high and dry. So if you find yourself too nervous to, or too afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. And with that, um, it's actually been a whole week since last time I did a podcast, which I don't normally do, but it's just been really quite busy. So I wanted to talk about some really cool things that have been happening in Calgary that is just outstanding. Um, I went to a meeting to see David Egan to talk about education, but unfortunately, the way it worked with volleyball practice, uh, unfortunately, we got there at the very tail end and didn't really get a chance to chat with him. So I'm hoping to, you know, read more about his education um, portfolio that's been released and see if there's some... Um, anti-racism and indigenous education inclusion that uh, you know has been put in what has been put in what maybe what's missing 
but uh, just haven't had time to really go through that quite yet. Um, another thing that uh, came up on my my radar, I was I've been incredible. I'm incredibly privileged. I say that every single day, and I mean it every single day. And I'm grateful to be here, thanks to my ancestors allowing me to be here. Um, but I I've been really involved with the Liberal Party this week. Uh, talking with different um, levels of the Liberal Party in the hopes that we can start some Indigenous education uh, going nationally. I know there are pockets here and there, and you know, thanks to my colleagues across the nation for doing that great work. Um, I went to uh, a family violence conversation, and boy, oh boy, such great information out there. You know, a lot of us are not tech savvy. And that's a real hindrance. And especially in the world of family violence, it's something that I strongly encourage everyone to empower themselves with because the amount of tracking that can be done, like you can put a little GPS chip in a, you know, build a bear and the type of networking issues that there are with the internet services. And a lot of people have smart houses now where they, where they just talk to their house and they, the, you know, turns off lights and such. Unfortunately, for those with uh, bad intentions, there's a lot of loopholes there that really stop people from being safe, and especially if you're in a controlling domestic violence situation. So, you know, the cyberbullying stuff that's out there, of course, it's incredibly important for us as parents to learn that to help our children. But it's bigger than that. Our children have to know how to navigate this world and, you know, um, what is happening is that a lot of kids are, you know, going beyond the safeguards that even the schools have. They have different apps that are available to them that they can um, bully each other. But not just that, because they will go through some safeguards for like school and such, it actually leaves them really open and vulnerable to the uh, dark predators that are on the dark part of the internet. And um, a lot of those safeguards that come down leave them open available to share all of their information. And um, I, I can't stress enough that if you have iPhones, Facebook, anything like that, there's so much more literacy that we need to do to keep ourselves safe from, you know, really awful people out there who just want to steal our data, want to steal our lives, want to steal our identity. So, and on top of family violence, of course, and such. So just wanted to throw that out there that if you can take some time to uh, learn some safety, or if you have some suggestions of people who have taught you some really good um, tips and tricks on cyber safety, I'd love to hear them. And I'd love to uh, share them with, with any of the other listeners. Um, Michelle Thrush is a nationally known uh, actress. I, I would even say international because she's known in the States as well. And, um, you know, a Cree woman who she's been on North of 60 and, you know, many different stages, uh, Blackstone, I can think of like great um, pieces that I think really showcase a lot of the struggles and such. And, you know, obviously showcase her amazing talent, but she's Calgary based. And uh, she worked with uh, with a small team to create what's called Inner Elder. And it, it's her talking at Lunchbox Theater for an hour, um, not just like uh, speaking the way I would speak um, in, into a microphone or, or doing a presentation, but as, as an, uh, a teacher and actress of uh, 
you know, trying to teach people about her story. She's incorporated it into a play and very clever play, uh, funny and powerful. And it made me cry uh, quite a few times because, you know, it's talking about being Indigenous in Calgary in a time when it wasn't safe to be Indigenous. And that internalized racism, the things that your teachers say to you thinking that they're being cute and inclusive when it's just point blank racist and hurtful and you internalize that. And she just had example after example of a little bit of her story and a little bit of our story as Indigenous people that really um, touched me in a lot of ways. And then she ended it with humor. And then the best way to end any conversation is with humor because then you're lifted when you're done. And, and a lot of the stuff that we talk about are, are heavy topics. And, her, you know, her play wasn't um, an exception where she, she dealt with some pretty tough conversations. So, you know, um, I got to see it with a bunch of students. I don't know, you know, what schools they were from at the time that I had seen it. But, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard to hear teenage boys laughing and whispering behind you at inappropriate times to be laughing and whispering unless you're racist so I can tell that even the new generation have a lot of deconstructing of racism to do and I'm hoping that you know in time it can be better for my daughter's generation and and go from there so if you get a chance to um you know see inner elder or you know advocate for it to go across the nation uh, they were talking, they had uh, the team come after and answer questions. And it sounds like that's a production that can go national. It's just a matter of making sure that, uh, you know, people go in and see it. So I'm telling you, if you get a chance to see Inner Elder by Michelle Thrush, please go take it. Um, it's worth it. Absolutely worth it. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce here in Calgary invited um, Awaton Healing Lodge to talk uh, to a group called Gen YYC. And they're kind of, uh, you know, young leaders that are part of the Com Chamber of Commerce that uh, try to talk about issues. And they had uh, Awaton Healing Lodge come in and talk a little bit about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit. And because I'm a part of that committee, um, I was honored to be asked to join uh, our elder Jackie to talk about these things. So it was uh, wonderful to be a part of that discussion and try to give context when we then went to um, making a Treaty 7's new production that talked about um, a missing and murdered Indigenous women. And really powerful for me to witness and watch because it's a, an Indigenous um, written script, Indigenous-led Indigenous people, like some of my, my personal friends up on the stage. So it was really wonderful to see. And it was wonderful to see different aspects of that on stage. And I, I can't tell you, you know, after witnessing Inner Elder by Michelle Thrush and then watching the Treaty 7's new production, it I just can't stress enough what a new era we're in for me to be able to take my daughter to positive um, media, positive productions about what's happening in our, in our area and, and seeing Indigenous and talking about these issues in a better way, um, ways that we choose to talk about it. It's, I can't stress it enough. Um, another uh, thing that happened that I was super excited about was I was asked to go 
and talk to some uh, future social workers about um, political activism. And, you know, it, it's always really um, exciting for me to kind of sit down and think about deconstructing what activism was for me and where I got started and, you know, where it would start with just education and books that I would read and you know, at first I, I would have a little bit of fun with it and and question a lot of things. But it it really was, um, you know, the, the truth movement that talked about Indian residential schools before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and that. And we were still fighting for that um, recognition. And even though the apology had been done, there still wasn't really any movement towards um, making significant change and a lot of our elders were starting to uh, testify with the TRC but the there was a lot of ramifications from that testimony and a lot of stuff that could have been done that wasn't done and so on and so forth so you know we talked about basically a group of non-indigenous people there were a few people that uh, identified as indigenous and you know talked about political activism and and even on Facebook and social media, finding out, you know, who might be a racist uncle or or somebody who is hurtful towards the trans community because, like, for example, you don't want your children to be around people like that or you want to call in that family member that you love and say, hey, did you know um, it's hurtful for you to say that and start having those positive conversations because, you know, as I speak today, um, there was an attack on a synagogue in the States and I'm sure there are many thoughts and prayers from many different people. But at the end of the day, I I struggle with that because, you know, a lot of us in the anti-racism community have been talking about Islamophobia and, um, you know, anti-Jewish uh, propaganda. Um, anyone who knows anything about Alberta knows that we've had a lot of neo-Nazis uh, building this place, KKK, the Foundations of Alberta. There's a lot of um, roots of anti-Semitic conversations and, and now today anti-Islamic, anti-immigrant, anti-Indigenous. And it, it's just building and building and culminating to where, you know, you have the President of the United States saying awful things about Jewish population and then coincidentally someone goes and shoots up a synagogue. So it's very difficult for me to be quiet about political activism because if one of us is, is oppressed, all of us are oppressed. And there are a lot of, you know, people that don't understand that. And um, there was a really great article that came out and it, it talked about women and the atmosphere that we grew up in the 80s and the type of belief system of, of our own personal oppression that we have in order and trying to deconstruct that. And in today's Me Too era, you know, it's 2018 and there's still a lot of women who voted for Trump because at the end of the day, we grew up in an era where it was okay for Burt Reynolds to beat Loney Anderson and, and Sean Penn to hit Madonna and this atmosphere that was just ridiculous towards women that, you know, we um, were taught to blame ourselves when anything bad happened and consent wasn't even a conversation that we had. Um, so, you know, having those conversations about political activism with people who are generally, you know, un 
like afraid to even like posts on Facebook and share puppies and, and kittens. And, you know, while it's important to have balance, balance does mean knowing a little more about politics. Like I went door knocking this weekend and one of the people said, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm happy with the government. I, I'd have to research that. And I thought, well, how, like, when you're door knocking, you have to understand that the average Joe is really not connected to politics. And for someone like myself, who's really aware of, you know, racism and the building of, you know, anti-Semitic, anti-Islamic, all these, all of these things, they culminate together. And if we don't speak out against them, then, you know, today it's the indigenous community, tomorrow's the trans, then it's the Muslims, and it just continues and continues and continues. But if we call it out, we call out that white supremacy now, then, you know, it has to stop. And if we start having those calling conversations, like, you know, you have average Joe who's uh, unaware of what Me Too is and unaware of what consent is. And then, you know, you have uh, this woman who's dressing up as a native for Halloween. And you have to call people in and say, look, this is wrong. And you might not listen. Well, that's fine. But to not acknowledge that people are at least saying this to you, you know, you can get called out one or two or three or four times before you finally figure out, you know, I guess this is really hurtful to some people. And maybe some things will finally change. So it's important to, um, you know, really focus on on political activism in some way. And whether it's at the very start when I talk about cultural safety and trying to be there for somebody who's experiencing some kind of anti-oppressive microaggression or harassment, you know, or whether it's just liking something on Facebook. Like I, I said, if you don't find out that somebody is um, disrespectful to women, that is not someone I'm going to let look after my daughter ever, ever, ever. Because if they are, they're open on their Facebook about, you know, being disrespectful to women, then I'm certainly not going to let them around my daughter and especially alone. So that's why it's important for your own personal safety to know where people stand on certain things. So yeah, it was really great. Um, I, I got some good feedback. Uh, I was lucky when I walked in, uh, Cindy Blackstock was on there an interview one-on-one with Peter Mansbridge was, was playing. So, you know, obviously the people that I was talking to were given some kind of context beforehand about, um, you know, anti-colonial, um, well, and oppressive laws in general. She, as Cindy Blackstock obviously is one of those people I absolutely respect. So, so yeah, that was really great. And unfortunately, because I was, um, asked to be at that Mount Royal teaching like a long time ago, I did end up missing um, a tribute to uh, Joey English. Her birthday was then and her family organized uh, um, a tribute. So, and I didn't see any pictures, but it, I'm sure it went really well. And I think it's really important to honor those who are missing and murdered and that for the fa- to support the family. So if you don't um, know much about Joey English's story, please have a look on Facebook, uh, Justice for Joey English, and you can follow um, what the family is doing, which I think is the most important thing that we can do is to support families. Um, so I went door knocking for Saturday morning, 
with the Liberal Party here in Calgary. And uh, yeah, it's just so black and white, the response at the door. It's either love them or hate them type conversations. So uh, it's really interesting when you when you engage with people one-on-one on their politics and you get to hear people who try to pretend they know what they're talking about politics or uh, people who are just, you know, excited to have anybody. I had a wonder, really great conversation with a conservative who uh, who was like, oh, you, you're knocked at the wrong door. And I started laughing and and I said, oh, so, you know, you want the prime minister to come here and knock on your door? No, no, no. And we ended up having a funny, longer conversation, even though we were on the opposite ends. But I think it the excitement to have somebody who's um, talking politics at all come to their door, um, just a really nice old gentleman. And we just had a really funny conversation. So, And from there, boy, oh boy, have I been inspired this weekend. Um, I want to first give a big shout out to Hillhurst United Church. Thanks to Hillhurst United Church, um, they brought out a fellow named um, Harlan Pruden. And for those who do not know who Harlan Pruden is, this is a internationally known uh, two-spirit Cree man. And he um, he's older. He's, he's gone to New York for over 20 years. He organized uh, some of the first galas for uh, same-sex couples. This is a man who has so much knowledge about, um, you know, two-spirit that he's been appointed twice by Obama on issues of AIDS and issues of, um, you know, that two-spirit perspective that needs to be implemented within health. So, you know, he's proudly fired by Trump and, uh, you know, we all had a good chuckle at that. And he um, now does a lot of work in Vancouver and has always worked with the Two-Spirit community. So when Hillhorst uh, said, will you come out to Calgary? He said, absolutely. And apparently he did some work on Saturday morning, which I had missed. But for Saturday afternoon, he wanted to work with the local Two-Spirit community. And everyone in Calgary knows the local two-spirit community has um, a lot of roots and voices. And Voices was like was approached to host an event. So um, Amp It Up was something that was done at the uh, community-wise. And it was to help Indigenous amp up their their presence on social media and media in general. And it was really important to him to give back to the Two-Spirit community. And of course, me being a a part of Voices, I was lucky enough to hear what he had to say for tips and tricks on how to approach media and get your message across. And I found that uh, there were so many things he said that was incredibly invaluable that I just really encourage anyone that if you haven't heard him speak, what a great opportunity to ask for um, Harland to come out to your community event or whichever, fly him in and have him speak. And then that way you can hear straight from him some of the things that he is doing. And he's also the managing ed- editor of Two-Spirit Journal. And uh, yeah, just incredibly media savvy. He's been in Time, featured in Time magazine as well. And um, so I got to got to really hear some good ideas from him on how to uh, be better at the work that we do and amplify our message in a really positive and constructive way. And 
from that, that led to, uh, we went out to the mountains and uh, showed him Lake Minnewanka and the hot springs, of course, and came back and I got to hear him speak to, well, I, I heard him speak this morning too, to the congregation. He did two uh, presentations and then uh, this evening there was an LGBTQ, LGBTQ2 plus community uh, sharing circle thanks to Hillhurst again and uh, you know while I respect the privacy of what was shared there again it was more about reconciliation and I can just tell you from my point of view that um, you know I find Harlan incredibly inspirational to a reminder to always be coming from a place of love and um, and even if they're hard truths you know unfortunately I even gaslight myself and think, you know, people just don't want to hear what I have to say. And while that might be true, because, you know, anti-racism work is uncomfortable, at the end of the day, it still needs to be said. And I think that a lot of us Indigenous, a lot of us in the Indigenous community are coming from a place of love and truth in order to find that reconciliation. And reconciliation, while a very difficult conversation, um, the truth that's already out there like seeing people do that action the action of learning the truth the action of doing more once you know that truth the action of being an honorary witness the action of you know implementing those 94 calls to action within your life whether it's your your kids school whether it's your sports team whether it's your corporate calgary um whatever that looks like to you like the action um, I have an uncle and he says for the finger pointing out, there's three pointing back. And while the f- federal government may be doing what they consider reconciliation, you know, there's still that provincial, municipal and community level work that needs to be done that um, really propels reconciliation. So with that, um, I'm really honored for tomorrow. I'm going to uh, teach the um, uh, group that focuses in domestic violence a bit about the land acknowledgement and then I'm really lucky to be a part of a conversation from Yes Calgary and I decided that I'm going to back Yes Calgary because they're one of the or- only organizations talking about reconciliation and uh, for anyone who knows me um, <laughs> there's a, a bridge that's here in Calgary that was renamed the Langevin Bridge to Reconciliation Bridge. And it's actually under construction right now. And that's like not even a joke. So there's a sign that says Reconciliation Bridge under construction, expect delays. And I just think that's such a great <laughs> you know, moment in time here where it is true. That's we Reconciliation Bridge is going to take um, some time. It is under construction. There is going to be delays. And we got to work really hard at, uh, you know, making this work. And the irony, of course, here in Calgary, Reconciliation Bridge is a one-way street. For real. That's, like, not even a joke. But it actually is so funny. I can't even. <laughs> like, it's just so many levels of it couldn't be better. Better better said. Let's put it that way. So, um, I think with that, I, I'll wrap up for tonight. I uh, was just really excited to talk a bit about the inspiration that Harlan Pruden um, brought out in me and, you know, trying to be on the right track and talking about reconciliation in a good way and moving forward. So um, I wanted to add something that uh, came across and it's a, 
If you're experiencing emotional distress or need to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And these conversations might be hard, but if you're Indigenous, they may trigger some... um, emotions that you may need to talk out further. So um, I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and stepping up for teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her that I am a second generation Calgarian proudly And I want to say thank you to my husband for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, and the support down my journey of the Red Road, he's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from every day, I I am honored you chose us. And you give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. So my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to the previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. NativeCalgarian.com is also up. And with that, I say thank you.